Welcome to the Rise Up with Julie Baumgartner podcast. In this episode, we have a woman who followed her dreams and beat all the odds to be a significant voice and a hand of hope and encouragement to the underprivileged in Europe and the Middle East. Her mindset, her mission, her determination are examples for us all. From feeding programs to encouragement of entrepreneurial business development to giving aid along the refugee highway with Greece as the first entry point into Europe, she is loving and listening her way across countries, breaking the boundaries of culture and despair. Today, Gail Stathis joins the podcast, number 15, A Love for Europe, Greece, and the Middle East. Gail, thank you for being here today. Your focus is in Europe and the Middle East, North Africa and Egypt. What is it like being a woman championing the cause of the underprivileged in these countries? That's a a very interesting question, Julie. And first, let me say thank you so much for the time to be on your podcast. I think this is uh, a very... uh, critical. I think it's a a fresh way to begin to share with a world that's been in a a pandemic and lockdown, and people are looking for interesting topics. And and I believe the topic that you have invited me to share with you a little bit today is very interesting, not just for women, but for everyone. But it is exciting to be a woman in this time in which I live, and particularly the area of the world I live in, And I think the easiest way to first or initially address it is um, whether you're in Greece or the Middle East or North Africa, there has and there still remains a sense of women are not necessarily uh, given the forefront. And it's not always spoken forthrightly. But it remains in the mindset. And I think if you allow that to capture your attention you're going to be handicapped. And I just early on understood that there were things I wanted to do with my life, things I wanted to be with my life. And I just decided even when the intimidation would come against me, I wasn't going to be polemic about it, but rather I was just going to get about business of fulfilling the dreams I had in my heart and seeing what doors would open. What was your first focus And what was it geared towards? Who was it geared towards? And why did it capture your heart to reach into that region? Uh, Are you speaking about when I first moved to Greece? Mm -hmm. I think uh, because I grew up in Missouri, although I am Greek-American, but uh, I was not ever aware in Missouri of uh, that women didn't really have an equal role where I grew up. We were just, you know men, women, children, we just were kind of all equal. So when I first arrived on Greece, and I will be honest, I couldn't even wear uh, a pants. At that time in Greece, you just wore a dress. Uh, and that wasn't just in church circles. That was in secular society. You dressed up to go to the grocery store. And I had to get the culture, uh, a view of the culture in my mindset as this young woman. And I remember... Uh, Probably when I first went to a, a church I wanted was part of, uh, women weren't really even up front leading worship, and I had been part of a worship team or a worship 
leading music for a long time. And that began to turn a light bulb on in my mind. What is this about? And I immediately realized uh, I had to trust that there was someone bigger than I am that would open the door because if I tried to break it down, it would create a, a very ugly atmosphere. So I realized I needed to find an app, uh, a platform that I could begin to express who I was. And in all honesty, the interesting part of that question was, uh, where you asked me, uh, where did I first see I could be used? What would my focus be? And so I realized it needed to be women. And so what I did, I just started a coffee morning with women in my neighborhood. And they loved it. They loved it. Because at that time, also in Greece, women didn't even go for coffee unless they had permission from their husbands. It was very interesting days. Just 36 years ago. We're not talking about 100 years ago. So did you have them into your home? Oh, absolutely. I began to invite them in my home. And uh, then we used, I saw an opportunity to begin to share what was most important in my life in a very comfortable setting, non-threatening, um, and I'll use the word non-preachy, non-religious. We just had coffee and we began to, uh, I would ask, would you like to hear what what the word says today, what I read today. And I would begin to just share a, a scripture that I would have read this morning. And it, in a very casual way, it began to open um, hearts towards me. They trusted me and we began to trust each other. And that's critical. I believe it's very critical. It's interesting that you began in a closed atmosphere and climate. And now Greece is again in a very closed situation and that it's in lockdown due to COVID for over a year now. So how was how was it there? Tell us your experience. Are you just isolated? Um, that's that's a kind of a complicated question. So I'm gonna, if it's all right with you, I'm gonna speak about two or three aspects of that. Uh, first of all, uh, I my former husband has passed away, so I live as a single woman in leadership. Okay. And I do lead a local church that I planted. It was birthed out of that little Bible study that I was doing with women in my home. So when the lockdown initially came, my first thought was, how do I do this? I wasn't actually thinking about being alone. How do I face COVID for myself? It really was an attitude of how do I take care of these people? And honestly, I did not expect the amount of work that it took. And so for all of you that do online church or those like you that do podcasts, I have a new appreciation. It is a lot of work. And we wanted to, the team, we began to move all of the equipment from the local church. We put it in my living room because we weren't even able to meet in the building to record services there. Uh, we be, we really were confined. You were only allowed if you had a number on your phone. You had to text that number. You couldn't go out onto the street unless you texted that number to just even do exercise or go to the grocery store. Uh, that began in March 2020. So as we begin to do record services and Bible studies and just conversation times, just small groups, my initial focus was on, on 
out there? How do I take care of everyone out there? And Julie, I wasn't really aware of what it, how I was feeling about it. And as time uh, continued, uh, I began to understand over last summer, this is not going to end soon. And I'm living alone. And I have to get permission even to meet someone a mile away from me to have coffee. Uh, I literally had to capture my thoughts and think about how do I live through this on a day by day, take it one day at a time, because if I thought way out in the distance, it could, I realized it would be overwhelming. So I approached it one day at a time. What can I do for today to feel good? Keep my spirits up, you know, and uh, lots of times people, particularly those of us from a Christian background, oh, you know, just pray, just read your Bible. But in all honesty, that is not enough. You li- we live in this real world, and we need to know, what does God say, and how do I apply those things to my life to enjoy the day if I'm alone? And um, so that became part of it, too, also. And I'm not going to lie, there were moments it felt like a dark gray cloud came over me. Uh, I am alone. I can't go eat with anyone. I can't go have coffee with anyone. I can talk on Zoom. But honestly, or telephone, that gets a little tiring after a while. You want to see and touch. You want to see people face to face. And it, it really was at times, um, it became very heavy. I'm not going to say it was overwhelming. It was more of an oppressive feeling. So I would find other things to give me an outlet, reading other things, listening to podcasts, listening to things on YouTube, um, texting the number to go for a walk, because I realized if I stayed in the house alone, depression could overwhelm me, Uh, especially once um, I began to get in a cycle of how to, you know, care for the local church online and do those things, even though it really is a lot of work. There still becomes, you begin to understand it and how to do it. So you have to, I begin to realize I've got to also take care of myself. Does that answer the question? Does that help? Give the listeners an overview of the various areas that you serve and the purpose for you and your team being there. I love this question because sometimes we think uh, whatever you do in your life, all of us have this plan down the road. But all honestly, much of what I have have done with my life has just evolved out of the day-to-day life, loving people, meeting people, hearing their hearts. And then also, I actually live on the edge of the refugee highway, coming out of Turkey and the Middle East and North Africa. Greece is the first entry point into Europe. And a lot of people should know, but if you don't know, we have been inundated with refugees, particularly uh, those coming out of the Syria war conflict. So um, we, and I know there's economic migrants, but these were actually real refugees, people that their cities, their villages were not just bombed, they were obliterated. So it was just a natural evolution of, of the heart uh, 
of wanting to be not just God, but as a, a human, wanting to reach out to other humans and help them. And when how it first began um, was actually, if I can share, way back, even in the 80s, there was the war in Ethiopia. My mind began and my eyes to be open to, there are people that did not grow up in America. Even though I was living in Greece, I, you know, I had a nice apartment. Uh, I had to walk to get my groceries, but I was safe. And I think the awareness that there are a lot of people in the world that are not safe, it be, I began to be aware of that in the late 80s. So with as time proceeded, uh, there was the Syrian crisis. I began to realize that I, I also lived in one of the regions and one of the cities that has one of the largest numbers of women being trafficked into prostitution. Uh, I lived in one of the areas where children were being brought and left in the country, and their, uh, the, the country took them in, but there was no real care for them, so we would find children begging on, begging on the streets, um, the children going into prostitution. And it, the family of people that... I was in relationship with, we just began to get a real heart for this. And so uh, out of that grew uh, ministry into a, it was a former, actually, actually the, uh, an air base, an American air base that had been abandoned because the military had left. And we're talking about a place for about 700 people where we be, they began to put over 5,000 people in. And there wasn't even enough toilets for everyone to have 30 seconds in the facilities a day to use the facilities. And so those of us near that, uh, we just began to go and see what can we do? What can we bring? Can we bring food? Can we bring clothes? Can we just sit and sometimes just comb a child's hair to make them uh, realize out of the trauma Hey, there's somebody that's going to hold you and care for you. And so a ministry to refugees began out of that. And they're one of the largest refugee camps in Europe is also in Greece. So one of the, some of the families began to do that. That became their focus out of this family that I am in relationship with. There was another young woman that realized Women are being trafficked here. And, uh, and also not just a young woman. I love this part of my story. There was a woman in her mid-70s that got a heart to go out in the streets in the night, in the middle of the night, because uh, she said, you know, life isn't over. You know, I may be on uh, Social Security. We call it socio social insurance, but I'm going to keep doing something with my life. So she goes out even now three, four times a night, uh, uh, three or four times a week in the middle of the night. And she has a cooler with hot, with cold tea and a, another uh, canister with hot coffee or hot tea. She parks her car and watches for people that are just up and down the street. And she asks God, who should I just say, would you like to sit for a while? So the ministry to uh, people that are being trafficked, people that are in brothels and they want to escape. Uh, I'll be honest, transvestites, transsexuals, showing them there are people that love 
And we're not going to just cram Jesus down your throat, but we're going to be Jesus, and we're going to sit and talk and listen to you. That uh, was birthed out of this local family. And I believe, Julie, it is because of where we were are located. Um, it, it just was... It was t- the right time. We were at the right place. I got to be at the right place at the right time. And even uh, there has not been any real uh, openness to help women that are raped or their family remove them from the home because there was unwanted pregnancy. Because I live in what's called an honor-based society. It's a real shame. And uh, so those people generally aborted. The abortion rate is astronomical in Greece. So the ministry to that became also, was birthed. Can you give us a glimpse into the culture in the Mediterranean, from the economy to housing to affordability to live there, and not just making ends meet, but to flourish, even, even from the tourism environment? Just give us an overview. Again, that's a really loaded question, but I let me just back up to 2008 when the crisis hit the world, and it severely affected the U.S., but it affected Greece at the same time, some of the economic things that were tied together. We went into a major economic collapse, and where uh, estimates were that close to 85% of the young people left the country. They saw no hope for their future. We were just beginning to see a bit of daylight when COVID hit. There are close to 65% of small businesses and enterprises have closed down. Uh, Yeah, I think um, people, it's not that they don't have hope. I think it's more we don't know how we're going to dig out from under the weight of this in Greece now. And, and that's a big question for the church, too, because we're asking ourselves, and I talk about church, big church, uh, if governments don't have the answer, how can we? And I think that's the challenge I would like to just share on here. We don't always need to look to the government. I believe that we're called to visit the poor and the needy and those in prison, those on the refugee highway, children. So that's a loaded question because we're looking for the answer, and I'm not sure that we know how. Uh, yet, uh, we're trying to feed and clothe uh, refugees, where we also, for the first time in the Greek culture that I know of in 36 years, I had never seen a Greek beg we, on the streets. We now have them. Oh, we have feeding programs. Uh, most of the people I'm involved with, they have weekly feeding programs. But Julie, that even shut down during covid so some people risked paying a fine and would put food in their cars and would drive around and find people and give them food. So I don't know how to, how to really completely answer that because it's complicated. Uh, many Greek families, because we're talking about an ancient culture there, where they live or have lived, it would be on land that was owned to previous ancestors. So they will give the property to a builder and the builder would own one floor and then mom and dad would own a floor and then you could build another floor and the sisters would get their dowry and they would live there. And so when you got married, the husband would expect to have an apartment. Now that is rapidly changing because I will be honest, 
uh, part of it with the economic collapse and the pandemic um, and just the internet and so many things. It is causing culture to be adapted and changed. I'm not sure that it's for the best. Uh, Maybe there are a few things, but not as a whole. Uh, Greece has its feet in two worlds. Greece is European, but probably because for 400, 400 years we were conquered by Turkey, which is a, has a Muslim mindset and a more of a Middle Eastern mindset. A lot of how we live has been affected by a Middle Eastern mindset. Um, so uh, one thing that's wonderful about it that I love and I would miss if I moved back to America. Everybody lives in everybody's lives. You are totally involved in everyone's life all the time. It's loud and chaotic. uh, And sometimes you wish, oh, would you go away just a little bit? But life is lived together. And that is very much a Middle Eastern. Yes, it is a very Middle Eastern mindset. And we have that. Someone once said that... uh, Greece is married to Europe, but has a Middle Eastern mistress. And I think that's a good way to, to put it. Does that, does that help? It does. I think, if I understood you correctly, that the hardships that Greece has been going through since 2008, and even more recently through COVID, it is actually just giving you more opportunities to reach out. Oh, Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and I don't think that could even be minimized. Uh, people are broken. And I, not just there. I, I know all through the region. Um, I could speak to, I know a young woman in Tunisia that uh, we help her some with some funds. And she just loads her car and goes, drives into the villages where people have no food and no, no opportunity to take care of themselves. I have... N- I believe we live in the most amazing time. Uh, I would say in a nutshell, we can see it as dark and difficult, but I believe God is using this as an opportunity as people are moving on refugee highways, as people are moving on migrant highways. Instead of seeing this as an awful time to see it, yes, as an opportunity to be hands and voices and eyes of love like we've never been before. That's a great observation. Let's talk about your work in Egypt. What all do you do in Egypt? Uh, That's exciting, too. We uh, actually, we're teaching a master's level course in practical leadership. Uh, We have some hospital directors, we have cafe owners, we have people that have an entrepreneurial spirit in a country where it is very difficult because uh, the crisis has really affected them, but they're full of hope. And so they're in this course uh, trying to understand how to be empowered and enabled it is actually this this master's level course that we're doing is not so much book learning as it is. Let's put some ideas. Give us your ideas. Let's critique them. Let's talk it through with one another. And then even, uh, Julie, they actually have to work together to implement some of their ideas and see how they will work out. 
one of the other things I'm doing is uh, we do work with women that go into the garbage cities and some pastors that work with people in the garbage cities. Um, uh, that uh, That is heartbreaking uh, to uh, that's that sometimes is hard to, to talk about that because these are people that now are birthing children in the garbage city. We actually, for the first time ever, these are before that people lived there, but they usually found a way out. But there's an entire culture now of people, children that were birthed there and growing up there. Explain a garbage city. Uh, in in very brief. It is primarily only Christians because they're the minority. They're the they have been the garbage collectors in Egypt because that is a very uh, low element of society, a lower class of society. They collect the garbage and they keep it in their area. They will break it down. There, if if you go on, uh, there are sites you could go on and see where women and children at the end of the day, as the garbage is being uh, brought to them, they'll sit there on the piles of garbage and they separate what could maybe be eaten, what could maybe be used and given to the animals. Um, they separate the cardboard, they separate the string, uh, they, they separate the plastic, all of this into different piles, hoping to find a way to utilize these things. And there was, uh, some of you might remember the swine flu. Well, the, the Christians used to have pigs, and of course, in an Islamic society, uh, pigs are, you know, that, that's a don't, do not touch. But they would use the, the pigs to eat the, the, the garbage, and that was some help. Well, when swine flu hit, they, there was an accusation that the, the pigs brought the, the swine flu, which, of course, we know that did not happen, but they killed all of the, the pigs. So that has actually increased the burden on those communities. They live there. They sleep there. Um, their life is lived there. How many people do you think live in that region? Well, there are several areas, uh, and so I, would, I wouldn't want to guess. Uh, I, I do think it's probably... All of them combined, it's probably close to maybe half a million, but uh, it could be more. I'm, I'm not really sure. And it's generational. So if you're born into that, there's not really any hope to aspire beyond that. Uh, no, there has not been until now. And that is one of the things that some of the, the church or the, the Christ followers are trying to do as they go into the garbage cities to minister, to give them hope and um, try to cause particularly the children to begin to dream. Up till recently, too, there wasn't even education because it was too far to walk. The children couldn't go there. And if you go to public school, you had to have a uniform. They couldn't own a uniform. They couldn't buy their books. So there is that's part of the ministry, too, to, dry, to try to actually establish schools there in the garbage city so that these children could have some form of education. So do you spearhead this movement, or what is your involvement or your oversight of it? Okay, one of uh, the particular ministry I'm part of, it's called EME, or European and Middle Eastern Ministry, Enabling Ministry Endeavors. We like to come in alongside. We really don't want to own anything. I think that's kind of been... Um, in the past, I think that 
we didn't enable nationals to own something and cause it to grow when we felt like from the West we had to come in and own it. Now, I, and I'm not speaking against that method. I do think this day that we're living in, though, the more we can come alongside, and that's what we try to do and enable, hey, we'll give you ideas, let's help implement, I'll walk alongside, how can um, I help empower that? Uh, here's an idea, and oh, I'm going to reach out to someone and, and maybe we can find uh, funds, for example, to bring wheelchairs in. There's a lot of handicapped people in those areas. Uh, and just, uh, we, we have actually helped uh, a, a Coptic priest there to build a factory. We, we helped find the equipment, but we don't run the factory. He found people to, we help train. So they build equipment to help um, disabled people or challenged people to have a job to do. Um, and um, so, yeah, I think coming alongside is what a best, the good way to say what we do. It's probably, uh, probably some of the most fulfilling moments of my life and exciting moments uh, uh, have been when I've been in Egypt and seen children that suddenly they realized somebody cared because they've been locked away because they were ashamed for years, never let out of the house. And uh, God stirring the hearts of some of these pastors and priests to, it's not just about in a building on a Sunday, but it's about living it out and literally going door to door and say, can I have your child for a while? Some of these, these are adults, some of them that are disabled in their 20s and 30s, and but they're they're handicapped. But they come out into the sunshine, and I'll never forget one one of these Saturdays. I was there one of the days, and uh, this uh, adult that just could only smile. That's only what the person was able to do. But took a a, a pen, a, a paintbrush, and started painting a flower on my face. You know, and uh, that I stood there and let that child adult do that. Um, I think that will count for eternal purposes. It, it them. Yes, it did. It did. Yeah. And empowered me with joy. Let's talk about some of your other humanitarian efforts. What is Threads of Hope? Threads of Hope. This is wonderful. This is predominantly among women that have either been trafficked uh, into Greece or... Uh, they had no other means of support, and they wound up in brothels in Greece. And uh, this ministry literally goes out into the streets, sings in the street, f is friendly in the street, and we find ways to help rescue them. And those that want to come out, they uh, have to commit to leave that life behind, and then they are be they're trained. So... Uh, Threads of Hope is awesome because they're actually, it's becoming uh, so excellent what they're doing, uh, the products they're creating, whether it's jewelry or bags or whatever. Uh, they're different non-for-profits and also businesses for-profit that are contacting them. And the more uh, this is known about, it's being able to provide these women a salary. It's not a full-time salary yet, but enough for them that they can subsist daily, that they don't have to go back to the brothels. 
um, they're being introduced to a new life. There, uh, there is a lot of counseling to help them be healed or understand what happened to them and that for them not to feel, feel guilty, to, but to be set free. And as they actually, sitting at a sewing machine, even just cutting out a pattern, it gives them a sense that um, I can do something else with my life. I am a value. Um, that's a very exciting ministry to be part of and to see how it's developing. Yeah, Threads of Hope. What do I not know about or don't have in my notes that you do? Um, I think also there is Creative Hands. This is a ministry predominantly initially started uh, just to give the Syrian women, refugees, something to do with their time because on the refugee highway coming into Greece, they didn't have anything to do. And uh, so there is uh, a, a woman in our ministry that learned how to weave. And many of these cultures, they are weavers and knitters. So it was just a pastime. But out of that now, Creative Hands has also now become a for-profit business. These women are weaving amazing things on the loom, which is also, it was kind of becoming a dying art. Um, So I I think that's an amazing thing too. Uh, While they're weaving, uh, uh, several people are coming in and teams of people, I believe when the pandemic uh, is lifted, we'll see more people that would like to have a vacation with a purpose, come and, you know, see the Acropolis, go to an island, but spend a several days just sitting and, and uh, use an interpreter, but talk with them about how beautiful they are and what the work they're doing is amazing. But men are now doing this because they're excited. They've asked, can we do it too? Because they want to have something to do with their lives, not just play soccer in a field because they have nothing else to do. So that's also part of what we do. Uh, We do, uh, as you've already mentioned, we teach uh, master's level courses. We believe very much in education. In this world in which we live today, we need to challenge people to uh, stretch themselves, believe that they can, all things are possible. You may not, you know, be president of the country you live in, but the more you enable yourself and learn by studying and mean be challenged by conversations with other people, the more you are able to analyze and think through, well, this is not who I am. And you become a better citizen in the society of which you're part of. And that's part of our desire, to help people be better citizens while they're here on earth. And how do people find you? What is your website? It's, uh, of course, www.emeministries.com, E-M-E-Ministries.com. Where can they find you on social media? On so, we're on social media. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. Yes, we're on Twitter, EME Ministries. Or, and it also ememen.com. Yes. And who all is on your team? There's a, a gentleman named Brian Van, De- Van Devender. For those of you that speak Dutch, Van Devender. And uh, he is actually uh, on the team. Uh, organizational team with me as general director. He's very much a a visionary. Uh, He works in the local church as administrative pastor. I am the senior pastor of this church I uh, planted. 
But he uh, has a real heart for the Middle East and North Africa, reaching into that region. Uh, he's a visionary for what is called BAM, or Business as Mission, to find a way for particularly business people that also would like to come and share their expertise or help develop in regions that are underdeveloped uh, using their giftings or their experience. Uh, so he helps connect people with the field that way too in different areas of the world. Development uh, of, uh, of situations, development, uh, regional development of societies. What have you not done yet? that you hope for in the next five or ten years? I want to write a little bit about my life. I have written a, a few books, but uh, they were more, you know, uh, leadership books or devotional books. But I, I want to, I believe uh, I have a life story. Everybody does. And that's what's exciting all of us do, but I do believe my particular life story can inspire and help and encourage some other people along the way. Give us a brief clip from that book. Tell us in five minutes your life story. Uh, as many people, let me preface all of this, Julie, by saying I don't know that anybody's pain is worse than anyone else's because I have really come to understand my, your pain is your pain, mine is mine. I may think, oh, my life's been harder, but no, I cannot look at you that way. What pain you carry, I do believe God wants to help you, but it is the pain you have. So I needed to preface it. Uh, I grew up in a really abusive home, uh, unwanted like many people, but I met Jesus Christ as a little girl, and I understood he loved me. I, I really did. It was amazing. It kept me alive through my teen years. Uh, met a gentleman in uh, Bible college, uh, uh, Greek American, and uh, he came out of a very, uh, he came actually out of a drug background, got delivered from that. We got married. We went to Greece to serve in the ministry there um, and pastor a church lead many, many churches through the region, Europe, the Middle East, North Africa, planted churches. He struggled with a situation, very long story short. Uh, eventually was just, I think, as some of us do sometimes, he gave up the fight, and I want to help people not to give up the fight because I do think as long as we live in this world, I think everybody on this call, on this blog, will agree with me. There are good days and there are bad days. It's just life is sometimes hard. And I, he, I, I tried. Maybe I was too close to the situation. Uh, but I wasn't able to help him ultimately. Uh, after 25 years of marriage, he gave up the fight. But uh, as he walked away, uh, I just sensed as from that time of being that little girl, I wasn't alone. And God helped me through the pain of being abandoned. Uh, he helped me to know that he would not leave me. And uh, he has passed away. My, my former husband has now passed away. And uh, through all the years that, he's, that he left me, I, 
pray through that, work through that, talk to other people about it. Uh, am I unworthy? I was discarded. And I could have embraced those feelings, Julie, but I want to write about um, the choices we make. I made a choice through much prayer, through talking with God and telling him, I'm not always able every day to get up and decide I'm okay. And I would, there would be times I would cry and talk to him, times I'd get mad. And, uh, but through that journey of peeling away the layers, I learned that I really was never alone, and he helped me. And I want to help others know that with God, you're never discarded. Uh, with God, you, it doesn't matter how old you think you get numerically. Just There's a scripture, I love it, in Jeremiah 29 and 11. The Lord says, I have a hope and a future for you. It doesn't matter how old you are. There, uh, God is with you. If you will find him, he will help you have a hope and a future, and he'll help you live it out. And that's what he's done for me. And I, I want to write about that. And you should. It appears that you've been shown much love, and in return you give much love. So thank you for being here. And thank you for trusting Rise Up with your story. I hope it's well received by the listeners. And just God bless you and all your efforts. Thank you all that will listen. Thank you. You've been listening to Rise Up with Julie Baumgartner. Thank you for listening today. Rise up and let's be the best that we can be. And listen to this podcast that will both motivate and educate. Thank you. Thank you.